Our scripture reading for this morning is found in the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter. And with today, we come to an end of our study of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, We've been in this for a considerable period of time, for those of you who have been following along. But uh, today, we come to the end. Lord willing, next Lord's Day, uh, we'll begin in the book of... uh, Colossians, uh, as it exalts Christ as the glorified living head of the church, and uh, thought that would be a a good follow-up to to where we are at here, and uh, hope to also continue uh, the series on uh, the creatures of the Bible. We'll be in Psalm 23 next uh, Lord's Day evening. But this morning, the glorious message of the resurrection as recorded for us by Mark through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God breathed truth. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling. An astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray once again. Father in heaven, as we have read this word, now, Father, as we dwell upon it, we pray that even as your Spirit blessed and produced it in the heart of Mark, That, Father, now your Spirit will take that red word, that breathed out word, and work within our hearts and within our our lives and encourage us upon this day in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's people say, Amen. Well, the simple title of the message this morning is Resurrection. But as we consider the resurrection this morning, we're going to consider it in regards to these women who had come to the tomb. First of all, we want to look at the confusion of these women who are the witnesses. Remember, they were at the cross. They were at the burial. Now they're the ones who take center stage here at the resurrection. But as the scene begins in verses 1 and 2, 
It's a scene of confusion. Secondly, there is the confrontation of these witnesses that takes place as well. And then thirdly, in our passage, the commission of these witnesses. So the confusion, the confrontation, and the, confu- and the commission. What is it that they're confused about? Well, look at the text with me. What are they doing? Well, they're on their way to the tomb with spices. They were bringing spices. They were bringing spices to the tomb of Jesus. Now, why? Why are these women doing this? Well, they're going to anoint Jesus' corpse. Jesus' dead body is there in that tomb, and they are going to put these anointing spices on it, which was a very typical act in that day. They're going to anoint Jesus' corpse. But they're confused, aren't they? Because they think Jesus is dead. They think that the one that they saw being crucified, the one that was buried, is the one that is still in the tomb. But they had not, you see, understood Jesus' words. Jesus in the Gospel of Mark had indicated several times that he's going to go to Jerusalem. There he is going to suffer. He is going to be crucified. He's going to die. But on the third day, he's going to rise again. This is the third day, and they are confused. Why? Because they did not understand what Jesus had said. They do not grasp it all, even though all the other pieces have fit together beautifully. They still do not understand. They're confused. Although these women are very devoted, although these women are very faithful, they have followed Jesus all the way from Galilee. They have been helpers. They have been assisting. They have aided the ministry. They're still very confused. Because, you see, they're coming to anoint Jesus' corpse, his dead body. But he's not even there. He's already alive. He has risen already from the dead. Secondly, they're concerned about the stone and That's another part of their confusion, right? On the way, they say, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? They they had been so consumed by the spices. See, as soon as the Sabbath had been done, markets would have opened up. They went and purchased everything, got it all ready the night before, because remember, in the Jewish way, it's till sundown. That's when the Sabbath ends, at sundown, basically 6 p.m. So when the Sabbath was over, they went out and had purchased spices, but you don't go to the tomb in the dark of night. So they were waiting till the next morning. They had been so 
consumed by the spices they had to buy and getting it all ready and getting it all prepared, that they're on the way to the tomb. They're on the way there when it dawns on them. Oh, what about the stone? See, they had seen at the burial of Jesus that stone rolled in front of the entrance. But as I've indicated before, the way this this thing is set up is that the stone is rolled downhill. They keep a little peg in front of this stone, uh, this giant large stone as Mark reports to us so that it stays up. But once you take the peg out, okay, it's easy to roll the stone down the incline. The problem is when you've got to roll the stone up the incline. And it's a large stone. And you can only get a, a couple of people on the side of it pushing. Maybe you've been a part of one of those things where you know, you're, you're trying to push on something, but it's rather small, and and it's like, well, I'm of no use here because I can't even reach what it is I have to push. So the fact that there are many women doesn't take away from the problem that one or two of them that can actually get their hands on this stone aren't going to be able to move it. They're confused. Now what are we going to do? We got our spices, but we've got this problem. Their greatest concern had already been taken care of. They're confused and worried and perplexed about a stone. And it's already been dealt with. The text even tells us that, right? Okay, And looking up, verse 4, they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. How much like us. We always see the big problems. We always see the great difficulties. We're kind of in the midst of that right now, aren't we? And yet God already has it handled. God already has it dealt with. God already has COVID-19 all figured out. And it's not that he had to come up with a solution. He was already aware of it. These women are, oh, what are we going to do about the stone? The stone's already been taken care of. My friends, my friends in the plan and purposes of God. This virus will do that which it is intended to do and only that which it is intended to do. God has it taken care of. Because you see, that's the way God works. On this resurrection morning, here's, here's item number one for us to think about. That the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that which puts all of our confusion in perspective. All of our hopelessness, all of our despair, all of our worry, 
is put into proper perspective when we understand there is no dead corpse in that tomb. And there is no stone that needs to be rolled away. The confusion of the witnesses. Secondly, there is the confrontation of the witnesses. Verse 5, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they are alarmed. They are fearful. They're concerned. They're perplexed. The, the young man that we know is an angel from the passage I read in Luke earlier today, the dazzling apparel, we, we understand it's an angel. He says to them, verse 6, he confronts them, do not be alarmed. They were alarmed. He says to them, do not be alarmed. Stop being bewildered. Stop being so confused. Stop being fearful. Stop. Don't, don't continue in this way. God's messenger, God's messenger comes and confronts these witnesses. A direct messenger from God. That's what angels are. God's messengers. He has come. He's been sent from God for the specific purpose of addressing their alarm. Don't be. Do not be alarmed. Why? Why are they not to be alarmed? Because of the facts, because of the historical realities that he is going to lay before them. What historical realities, you say? Well, look at verse 6. Do not be alarmed. Here's historical reality number one. You seek Jesus, a historical person. You seek Jesus, who is of Nazareth. True fact. He who was crucified. They had witnessed that. See, these are all things they had seen and witnessed as well to a certain extent. He is not here. He has risen. Fact. Fact. When confronted, you see, with the facts, one should not be alarmed. One should not be bewildered. One should not be terrified. A messenger from God comes to them and reminds them of the facts. You say, well, wait a minute. Has it really been established yet that, that Jesus has risen? There's no body there. There is no body. I was reading one commentator earlier this week in regards to this passage, and he was saying, you know, the two leading thoughts of for those who do not believe or accept the resurrection, 
say, well, either it was the Jews themselves who took Jesus' body, and if you stop to think about it, that, that's just really doesn't make sense. If the Jewish leaders have the body of Jesus, show it. And when you read the accounts in the other Gospels, they're really upset about the fact that Jesus' body may go missing. So why would they take it and hide it? That, that, would, that would not help their cause at all. So I think we can rule that one out. But the other one is, oh, the disciples did it. The disciples broke in stole Jesus' body, hid it somewhere else, and it's, they, they just moved it, buried it somewhere else so that they could continue this hoax of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And they're willing to die for it. They're willing to die for the hoax. You got... think so. All of them? All of them? There's no whistleblowers? Wouldn't it be rather odd that you have these 11 men, 12 if we include Matthias later, Paul as the replacement of, of James, all of which die for the cause of Christ. For the cause of an empty tomb, they're willing to die horrific deaths for a hoax, for a lie. Most likely not. The historical fact is this He is risen. Why is it a fact? Because God's messenger told us. Already at this stage, already at this point, we could accept this truth based simply upon those historical facts. We say, well, it's only one angel. Oh, no, 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 it's two, isn't it? You read the account in Luke, there are two angels that are present. By the mouth of two is a thing established. But one other thing happens to confront these witnesses. Not only a messenger, not only these facts, but also eyewitness evidence. Look at what he says in verse 6. See the place where they laid him. So these women all look at the place where Jesus had been laid. And what do they see? What what do they see there? Well, one obvious answer is this. Nothing. Nothing. They see nothing. There is absolutely nothing there. Oh, well, now that's not quite true. There is no body there. There is no corpse there. That is what is not there. But there is something there. We know there's something there because of the account that's given to us in the gospel according to John. In John chapter 20, after the news has been told to the disciples, 
okay? They go to the tomb. Remember Peter and John? They run, right? One outruns the other. Verse 5. And stooping in, he saw the linen cloths lying there. But he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. What did the women see? Just what Peter and John saw. They saw the very same thing. They looked in. There is no body but the claws. Those linen claws. Why is that pointed out to us? Because at the burial of Jesus, when Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus took him down, they wrapped him in those linen claws. They're laying there. And the piece that they had over his face is folded up, set off to the side. Now, does that sound like somebody broke in in the middle of the night with maybe a little torchlight and stole his body? Why would they take him out of the linen that he was buried in? Why would they transport him without the linen? That doesn't make any sense either. Nor is it, the women look in, man, everything's a rumpled mess. They run off and the angels go, boy, you know, I think we ought to fold this stuff up, make it look a little neater so when the disciples come. No, they saw the very same things. They are eyewitness accounts of the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead. So, they were confused. They've been confronted now with God's truth, with the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And now they are commissioned. We read, verse 7, But go, tell his disciples and Peter. But go. You have a responsibility now. Now that you've heard, now that you've seen, now that you are aware of it, you need to go and you need to tell. Who do they need to tell? They need to tell the disciples and Peter. What a beautiful grace. And Peter. And Peter. Peter, you see, thinks he's outside. See, the the last we heard of Peter, he's denying Christ three times. Christ is looking at him as the rooster crows, and Peter has gone out and wept bitterly. My in, my out. I'm in nowheresville. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know my place. I don't know my situation. I don't know what's happening. Should I hang out with these guys anymore or not? Am I on the ends? Am I on the... I, I don't know. Do they all know what I've done? Are they aware what I have did around that fire in that courtyard? Make sure to tell my disciples 
and include Peter. The arms of God's grace reaching out, extending, including Peter. Including these disciples who had all deserted and left. Including Peter. Oh, what grace. Go and tell. Go and tell. And include Peter. But then we kind of come to a sort of an abrupt, difficult end of this section, don't we? Because what do we read? They're given the commission, go and tell. They went out, verse 8, they went out, so they're going, and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They're shocked. They're bewildered. They're fearful. Actually, the, the words that are used here the, in, in the Greek involve the idea they are shaking with tremors. They are shaking with tremors. Almost as if unable to actually speak. They're walking. They're shaking. There is so much going on. There is so much happening. They're seized with this this fear. They're overcome with this fear of what is going on and happening. Yeah, they're taking the steps, but, but they're saying nothing to no one. But you see, that's not where God's story of the resurrection ends. But as they went, See, this is the way they leave the tomb. They're leaving the tomb this way. But that's not the way it stayed. Because as they went, something happened. Something changed the entire circumstance and their situation. Go with me to Matthew chapter 28. See, here's where Matthew in Matthew chapter 28, is picking up the story. Matthew 28, we're going to start at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. They had a messenger from God. They had the historical facts. They had their own eyes to witness that the tomb was empty. But they are still, they're still not there. Jesus meets them. Jesus meets these women. Now you say, well, wait a minute, what about Mary Magdalene? Well, you see, what happened was, remember when they come to the tomb? As they come to the tomb, their concern was the stone, and then they saw the stone rolled away. What happened? Mary Magdalene immediately left the group. 
goes and finds the disciples and reports, first part of John chapter 20, they have stolen the body of Jesus. That's what gets Peter and John on the move. Thinking the body has been stolen. These women are on their way back to the disciples, but they're, in a sense, frozen with fear, as Mark reports it, and they meet Jesus. They have their own personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus, verse 9, Matthew 28 said greetings, and they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. They see Jesus in person. The reality of the resurrection in their own hearts, in their own lives, in their souls now takes root. And their immediate response is worship. They're met by Jesus and they began to worship. Their fear is turned to worship. That's what happens, you see, when we encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ. When we encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ, our fears are turned to joy. The fears of this life the fears of eternity, the fears of death, the fear of hell, the fear of judgment. When we encounter Christ, our fear dissipates. Luke 24, verse 9. Luke 24, verse 9. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. They return, they tell the news, they fulfill the command, they do that which they were commissioned to do. These women play a vital role in the message of the gospel. They were witnesses of the crucifixion. They are witnesses of the burial of Jesus. And now they are the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ under the command, go and tell. And they do so. They do that which they are commanded to do. In the midst of all that was going on, in the midst of all of the circumstances of life, they go and tell. They're the witnesses of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're the witnesses of hope. They're the witnesses of victory. Not in themselves, no, in Christ. You say, well, that was fine for them, but what about us? Brothers and sisters in Christ, sometimes we 
can sit in church all our lives. We can be a part of the body of Christ in its outward sense all of our lives. We can hear the messages that come from God. We can listen to the historical realities. We can even examine those and study those with our own eyes, our own minds. But the only thing that really makes a difference is when we encounter Christ, when we encounter Jesus. That's what makes the difference. Now, I don't mean Jesus makes some personal appearance to you in some cloud. That's not what I'm referencing. You say, well, what are you referencing then? Two things. Remember, by two things is truth conveyed. Christ speaks to you and I. Christ conveys his truth to us. From Genesis to Revelation, this is Christ. This is the revelation about Christ, from Christ, for Christ's glory. This is Christ's word to you and I. Just as real, just as real as those women heard the word greetings. Just as much as Mary heard the word Mary. Just as much as those disciples in the upper room later that day hear the word peace. Just as much as the reality of those words, so is the reality of the word of Christ to you and I. Perhaps one of the reasons, one of the reasons why we have to stay home so much is in God's divine plan was so that we spent more time listening to Christ, pulling us away from the busyness and hecticness of our lives, from our work that we use as an excuse, I don't have time for a Bible study, I don't have time for the Word, from our sports that get us so heavily involved, we don't have time to read our Bibles, from all the hectic pace of having to do this and that and go here and go there. Now we got to stay put and God gives us time to encounter the word of Christ. Well, my friends, I pray. I pray that when we look back upon these weeks, and I pray it is only weeks, that when we look back upon them, we can say, I see God's hand at work in my life. He used it to impress upon me how wonderful it is to hear from Christ daily. But Christ also encounters us, not only with his word, but he encounters us through his spirit. It is His Spirit that He is going to pour out 
at Pentecost. It is his spirit that he promises to be with us. It is his spirit that doesn't come and go, but his spirit that lives within us. That Holy Spirit dwelling within us, drawing us closer and closer to Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that points out in our lives the fact that we are sinners in need of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit that works that great work of faith in our hearts. It is God's grace that brings us about. It is Christ's love that enables it. But it is the Spirit. We encounter Christ by that Spirit that is continually drawing us closer and closer and closer. My friends, upon this Resurrection Sunday, stop being fearful. And I don't just mean fearful of a virus. I mean fearful of the witness of Christ. Fearful of telling others that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the living Lord Jesus. Stop shaking with the tremors of fear of man. Rejoice, rejoice in the glory of the risen Lord and Savior. For once you see, you encounter the reality of Christ, the reality of the living Lord Jesus Christ. Once that Holy Spirit grips your soul and you hear the word of Christ, you run to tell. Go, be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. My friends, one of the, the deacons had mentioned, he wondered if this was perhaps the, the first resurrection since the resurrection of Christ, that the church has been at home. I don't know. I don't know the answer to it. It's an interesting pause. It's an interesting reflection. But I would hope and I would pray that it will not cease our sounding the trumpet throughout this world, throughout our neighborhood, throughout our family. Jesus Christ, He is risen. God's people say, He is risen indeed. Let's turn and sing at this time, Christ the Lord is risen today. Let this be our proclamation in our own homes today and throughout our community and our world in the days that the Lord gives to us. Christ the Lord is risen today. Alleluia. Sons of men and angels say, Alleluia.